Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Chris Damon. Today's episode is sponsored by Alfred McGoffin's Lost and Found. Looking for something? Found something? Just come to McGoffin's. By the time you get there, you've forgotten all about it. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the Captain of the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGPod and find all of this information on our webpage, www.lggpodcast.com. Kirk, we're back. We're back. Welcome to season three. It's 2020, and we are officially starting season three of uh, of LGG Podcast. So, uh, a decision that we made this morning after extensive deliberation, but which I mean, I walked <laughs> into your office and said, "Let's make this season three. Yeah, we decided that this would be season three. It's the start of a new year. Everything's new, so it's it's appropriate that we're going to go ahead and start and try to do some different stuff here. And that's not the only change we're making. Uh, yeah, so today's today's episode, we're going to do our Rise of Skywalker review and then kind of go over the predictions we made last year. Um, but uh, we, and we were going to talk about The Mandalorian, but I still haven't seen the back half of the <laughs> How first... could you have not have seen the last half of The Mandalorian? I just have time, but we'll, we'll get to that and we'll, we'll put that on the shelf for the time being. Um, but we're also going to do some, some uh, sort of format changes going forward. So one of the things that we both really want to do this year is get LGG podcast content out to you on a more regular basis. Yep. And so two, two big changes, I'm going to put big in, in sarcasm quotes. One, instead of a Monday release, <laughs> we're going to release on Wednesday. <laughs> yep, we are. And, and part of this is, and, and I think just for anybody, whether it's, we both listen to a lot of podcasts, and we're actually starting to get kind of annoyed at podcasts releasing on Monday. Just because it creates so a huge backlog. In the, you know, I get it on Monday, and I've got all this stuff to cover. And like by Thursday, I've finally gotten through it. Yeah, and then, and then by Thursday, you need new content and don't have any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things we're going to try to do. And the other thing we're going to try to also do is get you podcasts regularly on every Wednesday. Yeah, every Wednesday. And that, that may mean that we're going to need to do some different formats um, some uh, some some different types of shows just to make sure we can get you something that's mostly new content. We may occasionally sprinkle in some uh, re rebroadcast, we'll say, of older episodes that maybe you've either missed or that are relevant to a theme that we are working on at the time. Yep. Uh, but we want to make sure that whether we have new content or not, you will have something on your LGG podcast feed for Wednesday each week. And if we just happen to get busy, it may just be a couple of old episodes. Yeah, I mean, some of it's we're, we're also planning that there will be some re-released episodes on purpose. Um, as yeah. we're starting to plan out, we're going to be talking about this season. Again, with the idea of the creation of the season. We know there's some we want to specifically have people listen to again because they're going to relate to other things we're going to talk about. So Another change, we're going to be rotating around locations for recording. Uh, Kirk and I are both involved in the St. Louis entrepreneurship scene. And so today's episode is actually being recorded at the St. Louis uh, Central Library. Yeah, this is actually kind of cool. Uh, we had a friend told us about this, that they have a recording studio in the Central Library here that you can record podcasts in. You can nice use it for music, it looks like, given some of the other stuff that's in this room. Uh, but this is cool. Uh, I had no idea this was here. And yeah. it's, it, I mean, this is a professional setup that you can just come in and use. It really is nice. So we're, we're still kind of uh, uh, messing around with the dials and, and the knobs here to try and get the volume control right. So let us know how the episode sounds. You may have some oddities with the with the voice volume until we kind of settle in on 
on getting our faces <laughs> the right distance from the microphone and everything else. Well, I also I, I have a baffled microphone, and Ben doesn't, so there's a yeah. little bit differences to what our microphones are. So yeah, it's, it's different from a regular setup, and we'll we'll be back at our regular location uh, from time to time as well. So, uh, but let us know how it sounds and uh, and, and what you think. So uh, on that note, uh, let's talk about um, our predictions. We we actually made <laughs> so if, if you don't remember in season two episode fifteen. Well, let's, let's start with this. Spoiler alert. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> Rise of Skywalker and Rise of Skywalker. So if, if you have not seen Rise of Skywalker, I'm not sure it's in theaters anymore. Uh, it may not be. <laughs> the movies are in and out so fast now. But if you haven't seen it, go see it. And if you if you haven't seen it and you don't want spoilers, you might want to come back to this episode later. So you've yeah. been warned, and it's on you now. Okay. So we did um, 15. Um, um, I don't know what you call it, predictions. I guess yeah, that predictions. were kind of floating around the internet when we recorded season two, episode 15. Which, by the way, I think we recorded that in September or October. It was a while ago. Yeah, I think you said it was September we actually had done it. Um, I know it was definitely in advance as to you know what it yeah. was. And it released, obviously, a couple of weeks after we did it as well. So even when we yeah. knew it came out, it was later. I've got September written in my notes, but I think it may have been October. That just seems too far back. But <laughs> at, any, at any rate, it was, it was at least two months before the movie actually came out. So these, these are you know statements or predictions about things that would happen in Episode Nine. That Kirk and I each gave our opinion on. Although, as we get into this, you'll see that we occasionally <laughs> forgot to say what we think would happen. We just flapped our gums about it for a little bit. Yeah, so. we also added a few other additional predictions. Yeah. Follow-up text and everything else. So. so so here's number one. Our first prediction was Mark Hamill appears on screen as a Force ghost. We both, we both said true. And <laughs> although You know what you only didn't do was, does anybody say I've got a bad feeling about this? I assume somebody did, but I can't um, remember. I don't remember. There was, there was a something, there it, if I remember correctly. I don't remember I remember yet. it felt shoehorned in. Uh, number two was Princess Leia dies. I actually said false. Kirk said true. Well, I think the idea behind it was that she really die on screen. That yeah. was the were question or had she died ahead of time. Yep. And I mean, obviously she did die on screen. Yep. Very dramatically on screen. Well, Kirk um, also so. predicted, I, I re-listened to this, Kirk predicted that Luke and Leia would be the two force ghosts at the end of the movie, which was, <laughs> which was correct. <laughs> which was correct. <laughs> uh, number three, we find out who Ray's parents really, really are. I said true and Kirk said false, but Kirk's reason for false was, can we trust them? <laughs> can we trust them? Yeah. And that's, I, I have to admit, I look at it and I said, we, we gave you the point in this saying that we did actually show who they really, really are. I'm not sure we really know who they really were because we don't really know who those people are. No. I mean, we're, we're, we're given her lineage, I guess, is the spirit of the question. Yes. So I did award myself a point and I, I did not award Kirk one, but as you'll see, it doesn't matter. Kirk wins anyway. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, number four, we meet more Knights of Ren. We both said true. That basically did happen. Yeah, Although we also predicted they would be the villains in the future, but they were all killed. So I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> number five is tricky. It was Snoke is back. Yeah. he Parts of him are, I guess. <laughs> parts of him are. In a jar? Well, he's in a jar, though. It's From what I've read of some of the stuff talking about it, one that was added very late in post-production, apparently. Um, because they just thought it would be cool to have parts of Snoke in a jar, and it was not supposed to be Snark. It was Snoke. Snark. Snark. Snark in a Snoke. jar. <laughs> it was not supposed to be Snoke. It was supposed to be, essentially, future Snopes, the fact that he yeah. was a clone. Well, that was one of my comments, too. I said true, but they'll have they'll bring Snoke back in a roundabout way. I said it'll either be time travel, or it turns out that Snoke is actually Palpatine, which kind of... Which goes true. Yeah, I mean, technically, pretty close. Snoke was Palpatine. Yeah. I mean, he made him, so... Uh, six, Kylo Ren is redeemed and becomes Ben Solo. We both said true. That <laughs> happened. No surprise there. Yeah. Uh, we both... Uh, Finn and Rose become a thing. We both said false. We were right. They could not back away from Rose fast enough. Uh, the movie yes. was the poorer for it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, there's actually... If you guys haven't seen it, there's actually, I think, a great review out there talking about episode nine that basically said they thought the, the abandonment of Rose was the biggest mistake they made. 
made. And it was an overreaction to the fan dislike of the character, which I never understood. What fans didn't yeah, like I didn't understand the dislike but... of the character. And it's, I was actually, I, I very much agree with this. I said this sort of third-party review you can find online, where had they have kept that portion of it, it actually would have really helped the movie. Yeah, because we, we, we talked about when we did these that, like, they don't know what to do with Finn's character. Yeah. And giving a romantic interest kind of gives the character something to fight for and a little more direction besides just being afraid of the First yeah. Order. And they just kind of made him the third wheel, I yeah. guess. I don't well, know. One of the ones, if you guys have seen it, there is the draft script floating around, which apparently has been verified as actually being a draft script. And it was supposed to start with uh, Finn and Rose basically on a mission together. Hmm. Um, and that was going to be an important sort of aspect of it. That would have been neat. Things. And I really look at it and said, that would have been cool. Like, that's something they that, totally should That makes done. more sense to me than having Poe Dameron out doing this stuff. Like, he's yeah. like a, a captain of the fighter fleet. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, like, it's like pulling somebody who runs your F-18 squadron out of the Air National Guard and saying, you're going to Iran. Yeah. We're, say, we're sending, like, Ma- we're sending Maverick instead of yeah. John James Bond. <laughs> Okay, uh, number eight, uh, Captain Phasma becomes more than a prop. I said true, Kirk said false. Um, I know, well, we both said false. I have true written yeah, down, true, but I, I had false, said yeah. false. Uh, she wasn't even in it, so that's a, that's also a shame. Uh, number nine, there's another Death Star to blow up, and we clarified that we meant for, for narrative purposes. There's yes. something that has to be exploded to, for the <laughs> yes. plot to move forward. I, act, I, I don't know why I said false, but I did. Kirk said true. Uh, and of course, there was. I there was the, ten thousand deaths. I think the thought was well. We, I think when we really looked at it. We said it wasn't going to be the fleet. It was going to be a single target, and it was a single target. Sort. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, there, there was a thing you had to destroy to yeah. to stop the bad thing from happening. Of course. Exactly. Uh, Kirk said it might not be another Death Star, but there will be something they have to blow up at the end of the movie because they don't know how to end a Star Wars movie without blowing something up. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. <laughs> Number ten, Harrison Ford appears on screen. We both said true. Uh, Kirk said he'd be a force ghost. I said he'd be like a hologram or something. Yeah, you got so, that one a little more right than I did. Close, I think, yeah. That's what it is. He's been said he's not a force ghost. He's a memory. He's a memory. Yeah. Eleven, another major character d- other than Leia dies. I didn't actually answer this one, but I did think it was true. But since I didn't answer it on the podcast, <laughs> I did not give myself a point. Yep. Uh, Kirk also said true. Kirk said both Ray and Kylo Ren would die. Which I argue did happen. That's the thing, because I said I'd give you double credit if they if it did. We have to be careful with these. From now on, when we when we say this, we mean they die and stay dead. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're definitely both zombies. I mean, that's the issue. Is I think there's, you know, we definitely see. I think in conjunction with it, you know, Ray actually die. I mean, sort of in the way they do it. Yeah. But we also see Kylo Ren dying unquestionably earlier. Yeah. Then we see him sort of die again and come back. So, I mean, they almost died multiple times. Yeah, Kylo Ren dies like three times in this movie. They really wanted to put him through it. Uh, Okay, Uh, so I gave Kirk credit for that. Um, Number uh, 12th one, a character from the prequel trilogy who was not also in the original trilogy appears on screen. Uh, We both said true. I suggested maybe a Hayden Christensen appearance. There was a Hayden Christensen voiceover, but I don't think he actually is in the movie ever. No, I, not I, as like Anakin. He's just the he's just the, the voiceover in conjunction with the Yoda yeah. lines with all the, the you know, all the Jedi or me line. Yeah, so that uh that that was uh we both got wrong true for uh oh yeah we both got that one we both said true and we were both wrong. That's the only one we we're both wrong on, isn't it? Yeah, uh, number thirteen. They never explain the the following hanging threads <laughs> from the Force Awakens. We did half credits on these. The first one was how Maz Kanata I got Anakin Skywalker. Kirk thought they would explain it. I thought they would not. Um, and we also want to note that we thought that lightsaber was convincingly destroyed in Episode Eight, yeah. but it's back without explanation somehow. Well, actually, interesting enough, it's another one of the things where they talked about again with the missing script, uh, that sort of draft script. Um, that that was something that was addressed in the draft script and mm-hmm. was not that it, it was definitively destroyed. They've sort of said yes, it was definitively destroyed, and have not explained how it came back. 
Apparently, in the draft script, they actually would indicate that she would have rebuilt it. That Ray actually had rebuilt it. But the exact then, same way again, even looking the same in every she single had parts. I think is the I guess I just, that just but, feels like another middle finger to Ryan yeah, Johnson. Well, she, was gonna, she was gonna have it. I think she was supposed to also have her own lightsaber in conjunction. With, so again, she well, she did at the end. Around. She had a yellow yeah. one, I think, or something. Yeah, she has a yellow blade one at the end, yeah. which I have to admit, I like the fact that we have a blade other than the lone purple blade. You know, from the the see, uh, I, I would have pink. I would have the hottest bubble gum pink lightsaber. <laughs> Yeah. I actually always commented that I think yeah, I always thought yellow would be a cool one, actually. Yeah, me too. Yellow or orange would actually be kind of cool. Well, I cool. think I told you, when we did the Star Wars role-playing game I used to play when we were in college, uh, one of the characters was a Jedi, and um, he went to go make his lightsaber, and I had the idea that um, he would he would, he didn't make his role to craft it correctly, Okay. So, but it was close. So I said the lightsaber works, but I decided that the blade was in a non-visible color spectrum. Oh, jeez. So we had an invisible lightsaber blade that was like infrared. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, that'd actually be a cool idea for an actual character. It's like a character who sees into the infrared spectrum, so only he can actually see where his lightsaber blade is. Sort of yeah. like a predator. That would be cool, but, it, you know, never made it in. Yeah, that's that, that's something I don't think they'd ever actually go. No, that, that, that involves <laughs> too, too much actual science. <laughs> too much actual science and probably too much too few digital effects. Uh, yeah, exactly. And people would be confused. Like, I don't get it. How come he can see it? Um, and then the, the second one part of this was Kylo Ren has a remark in The Force Awakens where he says, show me again, grandfather. They kind of explained this. There was a, there was a James Earl jo- Jones voiceover when, uh, when Kylo Ren meets Palpatine. Yep. And he says, every voice you've heard, that was all me the whole time. So they explained where, what that was. So this was the opposite. They explained the one that we didn't think they would, and they ignored the one that we thought they would explain. <laughs> yeah. So we each got a half point on that. Uh, 14, one of the following terrible ideas will play a role in the plot. I said yes. Kirk said I hope not, but didn't really answer. <laughs> I think uh, that was the answer that it would. Unfortunately, time travel, no. Somebody's related to Boba Fett, no. Somebody's actually a clone. And I said specifically, Palpatine makes clones of himself and transfers his consciousness into them. Basically. Sort of, yeah. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, so I gave myself a point for that, but as you'll see, it doesn't matter. And then 15, we learn at least one new thing that completely changes our understanding of the original or prequel trilogies. We both said true, but there really wasn't anything I didn't think that rose to that level. Not yeah, to where I, you'd watch it again and be like, well, this scene means something else to me now. Not really. Yeah, I don't think that's really true at all. I think we we, we saw stuff that gives more background to the characters. We understand much more about Palpatine. Yeah. We see, you know, okay, Palpatine's like trying to corrupt Luke. We see him doing it again. This is a common theme. But that doesn't really change, you know, the fact that it's a common doesn't theme change doesn't anything change happened, anything. Yeah. You have so in the end, Kirk had nine and a half right out of 15. I had eight and a half right. So congratulations. <laughs> I think you're undefeated in these things. I, yeah, I think I am. I think I won the last <laughs> one too. The, uh, but yeah, the, the thing about it is that also we're obviously very close. What I do think is so interesting about the predictions is how many of them, like I said, w- at least one of us got right. Um, recognizing we yeah, did Yeah, I think there's close. only one that we both just completely whiffed on. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's do our general review, setting aside the predictions, which are just sort of fun to see. You know, it's interesting. We kind of make fun of, of we, we we both love Star Wars, obviously. We're big yeah. Star Wars fans. We also like to pick on it because it's just so easy to pick <laughs> because on. Because it's too easy to pick on, yes. Um, uh, but it, it's interesting, like, as, as predictable as we think it is, even with these predictions, you know, we only got a little more than, like, 60%, right? Yeah. So it's not for this that we didn't didn't quite nail. Um, now, admittedly, we did also take a little bit of sort of fun with the predictions of things yeah. that were sort of the, would they really dare do this <laughs> type of arguments? And unfortunately, they did in a couple of cases, and they didn't in yeah. a couple of cases. So, uh, g- general thoughts. What did you like the most about the movie? Um, so, uh, my basic thought with it, I liked the fact that, well, it, it mostly concluded the saga. Um, I think it left it a little bit too open at the end. I really thought the end was just a little bit ambiguous. I come at the thing that I sort of most enjoyed about it, quite frankly, was the sort of Sith audience chamber, which I know a lot of people didn't like. I, I wasn't liked... sure how to interpret that scene. I interpreted it as sort of like a vision or yeah. like a 
uh, a hallucination or something like that. But a lot of people thought there literally was just an arena with tens of thousands of Sith in it. Yeah. That's not how I interpreted that scene at all. Yeah, I'm the same way. I didn't interpret it as it really was people there. I interpreted it more as it was supposed to be a Force ghost, a projection of Because he says all the Sith are in me. So, yeah, that's him, like, projecting it out. And yep. I kept waiting for her to project all the Jedi on the opposite side. I was like, oh, no, are we going to have, like, a weird ghost battle now? Yeah, I was expecting that to potentially happen as well. Thank goodness that did not happen. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing I really liked is that I liked the concept of the way the sort of Sith advanced you know that yeah. it's okay the way you become a sith is you kill the prior sith yeah you know and it's that's almost like an, institutionalized it's like an evil version of highlander basically right? yeah like, <laughs> you kill the last one and you get all of his powers <laughs> exactly and well, that's what happens the uh, but yeah it's it's one of those where what i what i do really like about it is the concept of like the sith has this sort of very dark genealogy now mm-hmm. Where you realize that, hey, like, the only reason any people become this is because they kill the prior one. And they also realize they have to be killed by the next one. And I actually, I liked the fact that Palatine was not just okay with that, but was, like, actively pursuing it. Like, no, this is what happens. Well, also trying to cheat the system, too, like, in some ways. In some ways. But but I also get the impression, and I think the the thing I got from it, since we didn't see the, the end conclusion of it, I really kind of got the impression that it was... No, Rey is not going to become the Empress in the way she, she thinks she potentially was. She's really just going to become Palpatine. Like, Palpatine's going to take over because there's really only one Palpatine. Mm-hmm. So there's all these, and again, that's why I kind of the idea of, like, the projection. There's only ever really been one Sith. And it's just, it's a yeah. perpetual body type thing, but it's really only one consciousness that acquires values from the other consciousness. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, a one-man Borg, basically. Yeah. It just absorbs all these things. And it also kind of writes off the fact, <laughs> the other thing I liked about it is, Okay, Darth Maul dying doesn't matter because he's not the Emperor. You know, Darth yeah. Vader dying doesn't matter because he's not the Emperor. Okay, like that's kind of nice as well. Like the apprentice has to kill the master so for did it to you, matter. Did you interpret the final scene as being the Sith are now destroyed because the last one that was left has finally been located and and killed? Yeah, I mean, I got that from it. It's the thing that still potentially haunts me, and it's the constant thing that I have with it. Again, I think the ending was definitive enough. Is there will be balance in the Force? It's out of balance again. There are no Sith. And there's, I guess, one Jedi. We have and there's one Leia's Jedi. Gone, so, yeah. I, I, what was interesting though, I, th- I kind of interpreted her going to Tatooine at the end and kind of resuming the the, the Lars Homestead life as her not adopting the Jedi role in the galaxy and just saying it dies with me. She's going to go and and be a moisture evaporator. Or whatever but she built is. a lightsaber. She buries the yeah, lightsaber in Luke Leia, but she's built her own. See, but to me, that was Disney saying, "No, no, no, don't, don't, don't do everything." Like we, we may come back to this and want to resurrect the plot yes. in ten years, so we need to be able to go find those again. And like I said, that was the problem I had with it. Is it's it, I thought it was a nice definitive ending without, but it still wasn't quite definitive yeah. enough. I would have been. I appreciated the fact that she had a lightsaber. I wish she would have had it in the beginning. Um, you know, I so was that Leia's? It was Leia's, right? The yellow one. Yeah, the, she had? no, the the yellow one's hers. She has Leia's when she actually fights Palpatine. Okay. Uh, because she gets, and that's, I actually like that as a moment where she gets Leia's and, and um, Anakin's goes to uh, Kylo Ren, which I think is a sort of appropriate, you know, play off of that as well. But it's one of those things where, again, I really wanted this movie to definitively end the Star Wars saga. Well, and I think that's a good point. Did you, so I think you kind of hit on it. Overall, I, I kind of agree. I felt like it was a, a, a generally satisfying ending. Like, yeah. it's not how I would have done it, but I got to the end. I was like, okay, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I was tricked, into, you know, into, into going <laughs> yeah. to see. Like I felt that way in episode two, or you know, after episode one, I kind of thought, ah, this will just be the the, the one bad one that we kind of forget about, yep. which it is. Uh, then I got to two, and I was like, no, no, this is also bad. <laughs> and this, this, you know, eight, eight. I didn't feel at, that episode eight was as um, 
Uh, I don't know. A lot of like the, the true Star Wars fans hated Episode Eight. I really didn't. If yeah. you were to, we'll get to this in a second. The rankings. I would say Eight was the best of the three as far as just a movie and a story goes. Yeah. Uh, it was certainly the most ambitious and interesting, despite the whole Canto Bite thing, which I think could have removed that entire piece. But um, you know, as a, as far as a conclusion goes, you know, it's fine. It's fine. You yeah. know, it, it's pretty hard to satisfy everybody, and I felt like they were trying to end this in a way that made. The fewest number of people furious. <laughs> yeah, it's. A, I mean, I also take a little bit of the. There is a need for toy tie-ins. You know, there mm-hmm. is a need for marketing behind this. You know, those kind of things are just ubiquitous in movies now. It's just the way it has to be. Um, but it, it's you know, and that's sort of why I accepted like she needed to have a lightsaber is because we need to be able to sell Kylo Ren's lightsaber in Disney World. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I'm okay with that in some respects. Like she did need a lightsaber because she is a Jedi. Yeah, we should have one. I like the fact that it's unique. What I don't like is the fact that you only see it right at the end, implying she hasn't actually given up being a Jedi, even yeah. though it's kind of what they're implying. Yeah, there's a little sort of a narrative uh, conflict there. Um, okay, so what, what did you like the least? Um, so one of the things with it, I don't think I mentioned the podcast, I saw the movie in a little bit of a weird way. Oh, yeah. Um, so I went to go see it opening night. I saw three quarters of it opening night because my son promptly got sick in the course of doing it. We had to go home. And the next day I said, Kirk, um, how was the movie? He was like, well, the part I saw was good. Yeah. I went for, I saw, the thing that I really commented about it is when I walked out, just so you guys know, I walked, I, I had to stop watching it essentially as we have the, and I'd seen parts of it, a little bit of it, but as we're having the final climatic battle, um, I saw a few images of it because again we had to run out to the bathroom we had to come back we, we had a couple of ins and outs so i could figure out part of it but a couple of the things with it is i basically stopped watching it as coherently as a movie um at the time that we have the the bat the lightsaber duel between kylo ren and ray on the old death star mm-hmm. the next thing i saw was her on the sith planet and i'm like i missed five minutes how on earth did we get yeah. here <laughs> and that was really my biggest complaint about it. Having just seen the first three quarters of the movie, having not yet seen it, I was very confused as to what was happening, what these locations were, if I was supposed to get references. I found it to be very incoherent. Mm-hmm. When we then went back and saw it again a week later, um, I was able to actually see the full movie, it made much more sense to me because I got to see a few of these connecting scenes. Yeah, but still not complete sense. We'll get into that Yes, too. but not complete sense. And I said that was by far the sort of thing that, that bothered me, I think, the most is the movie had a very jumpy, slightly incoherent feel. Yeah. And particularly because it basically tried to toss episode eight and like purposely counteract episode eight. There was a lot of eight. that. Like we heard you fans, we're going to have to go back and, un- and walk all this back. Yeah. And so it's things like, you know, why on earth is Rose not a character? Why on earth is Rose and Finn not really interacting with each other? Like they're, no, they gave know, Rose the poochie treatment from the Simpsons. I have to go back to my planet <laughs> now and kind of lift her out of the frame and she's no longer Exactly. And it was like, you know, this just doesn't make sense. We then bump into, wait a minute, why does she have Anakin's lightsaber? Oh, wait, why, you know, why are we suddenly with Luke? Why is Luke as a Force ghost? Why can he do things? Like, there was just all yeah. this kind of stuff that was like, you know, <clears throat> wait, none of this makes any sense from what we've been setting up in the past two movies, particularly in Episode Eight. Okay, I have to read this as we are purposely saying Episode Eight didn't happen, and I'm yeah, like, there was, no, there was too much of the, uh, too much meta in this, too, too much, too much filmmaker awareness of audience expectations. Yeah, which, which then in turn influences the film, you know, and. To me, that's just as bad as saying I'm making a movie to get critics to like it so I can win <laughs> awards. Like, and you can do that, but you know, I guess this kind of is a question begging exercise. It, you know, what is artistic integrity, and does it matter? Like, is it okay? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. The, the answer is it doesn't. You know, if are you who's your audience? What, what are you making yeah. movies for? You're making a movie for people to go see it and like it. Yeah, so. these are mass market movies. These are not supposed to have great messages. You know, they might have a basic overarching morality for children. Yeah. And, you know, something like that. That but, said, I still think there were missed opportunities here. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get into that more in a second too. 
What was the biggest surprise to you? I think the fact that Rose really wasn't in it. Um, yeah. That really kind of stunned me. And I think because it's, I understood there was the backlash against Rose, but I, I was firmly in the camp. I, I literally wanted a bumper sticker that said, Rose is my new hero. Like, mm-hmm. I thought she was just a fascinating character. I loved the concept. I loved the fact that she was an engineer, sort of ton yeah. adventurer. A little, little socially awkward. Like, you and I relate to that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved her as a character. I really did. And it was one of those things where to suddenly have her be that relegated, I was yeah. like, you know, okay, I understand the fact that maybe they had trouble scripting her into certain things, but why can't she go on the mission? Like, how hard is it to script her into that? And again, like, when I've, it's not like she's Jar Jar Binks. I mean, how mad are people going to be if the Rose character does some interesting, neat things? Yeah, and quite frankly, if there's huge concern about the Rose character, we don't want to make anything of the Rose character, why can't we send her on a mission that's then have her die on screen? You know, yeah. make a big deal out of this. Messes Finn up. Make, make, make her yeah. Scotty, but, but, but give her uh, the Spock treatment. You know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you could have done there. Yeah, and so that was, I think, my, my biggest sort of surprise to me <clears> was the fact that she just got written out so bad. Yeah, and, and so... That was, to me, the biggest surprise was just how blatantly they were like, nope, everything in episode eight is a big nope, 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 left and right. Yeah. Um, biggest eye-rolling moment. <laughs> we, we can't attack the, have a ground attack against the radar on the ground. We're going to have a ground attack on the Star Destroyer. Yeah. Um, the, the eye-roll to me was <laughs> the entire plot device of, yeah, I know it's a, a, a galaxy that has space wizards and planet-killing spaceships, but we still just can't manage a vertical takeoff and landing without <laughs> something that, that a, a, modern aircraft, a modern aircraft can do. You yeah. know, a modern drone in my living room can do, <laughs> but these ships for some reason can't, and there's some throwaway line about the environment. There. If the environment's that bad, don't build the ships there. Yeah, I, I thought, actually, and I said that, my biggest, to me, the biggest eye roll, I joke about the assaulting the, 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 the radar. The radar is a MacGuffin, was also one of those things where I was just yeah. like, Okay, why one? Why do we even have to salt it on the ground? It's a radar. Why don't we just drop a bomb on it? We like none yeah, of those, we those have bombers. bombers. We saw them in episode eight. Well, yeah. I guess those don't exist anymore either. But we have Y wings. They're bombers. Yeah, um, and B wings. Yeah, and so, but it was that kind of thing. I think that was that was the big eye rolling moment. The other one, and you've mentioned this, and I think it was a big eye rolling moment. Quite frankly, was the oh, we have to go conscript more children to be you know our you know pilots and work on the star destroyers, and because we're the evil empire. And then we have the good rebellion coming in and going, we're going to mercilessly slaughter people yeah. who can't defend themselves. Yeah, like 10,000 Star Destroyers <laughs> full of conscripted civilians, and we just kill them all. Yeah. Okay. The other okay. one, I think it's appropriate, I went wrong, but I also like the fact that they actually, I think, poke slight fun at it, was they have the, you know, the Star Destroyer suddenly is a planet destroyer. It yeah. actually lives up to its name, which was a complete irony. I was like, wait, no, we don't have one Death Star. We have 10,000 Death Stars. Great. But the one, then they get that information to the Rebellion. The Rebellion's kind of like, yeah, there we go again. You know, kind of yeah. like the, you know, okay. Like like the like characters on screen are practically rolling their eyes at, at some of this stuff. Yeah, and, and I think that would, <laughs> I wouldn't say this is the biggest eye-rolling moment because I think it slightly was. the We need it as a plot device. We're going to use it as a plot device because we can. But we're also going to recognize that it's kind of a they, blunt, obviously. They handled that device. really well in Episode 7 when the, when he puts up Starkiller Base and yeah. Han Solo's like, and everybody goes, oh, Han Solo goes, so it's big. There's always still a way to blow it up. <laughs> like, very, very self-aware in a fun way, whereas this one was more serious and almost like, you've never seen this before, have you? 10,000 Death Stars. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Well, especially <laughs> exactly. when in Episode 8, like, well, I've got this in one of my, my points of my overall narrative things. In Episode 8, we see the fleet and the technology it has. And, like, they have one, like, disassembled Death Star gun that takes all this effort to get down to the planet and set up to fire one shot. Yeah. So, and, and Palpatine apparently is controlling all this stuff all this time. Why don't you just give them 
One one of those. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, and that's again, and why, think, why are you building ships underground that then break through the planet? I mean, it looks cool. It's really cool looking yeah. scene, but it just I, I'm watching it's this. A birth being, effect. Yeah, I'm like I, I I get it, but there's other ways you can make this visually interesting that don't insult my intelligence. And again, I think that was so much of the problem that we constantly had with it is it was it overall it, was, it worked as a movie. It was sort of but there's just so many places where the plot is just inconsistent or like things don't make sense in the past or things don't make sense as a whole. You're like, I can understand the fact that the you know, Empire built this gigantic battle station. Somehow they had the resources to do it. I have to suspend disbelief once. Yeah. This is like I have to spend disbelief every 15 seconds. This is where I think you can't you can't actually make a Star Wars plot too complicated. Um, and, and this is where where J.J. Abrams, I think, his skill as a director is able to cover for his shortcomings as a writer. <laughs> he, he writes interesting, fast, kinetic scripts yeah. that don't make any sense at all if you stop and think about it for 10 seconds. So as a director, he doesn't ever give you the 10 seconds to stop and think about it. Because while watching it, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that doesn't really make any sense. But what, wait, wait, what's going on now? I got to keep up. I got to keep up. Yeah. I can't stop and think about it. So he's not so much you know, asking you to make sense out of it is hoping you don't try and giving you no opportunity to do so. Yeah. And so it's only when you get to the end, you're like, well, it was a fun little movie. And then you stop and think about it in the car on the way home and you're like, it doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It really is. It's it's almost visual art as opposed to being movie, yeah. so to speak. You know? it's, it's a sequence of brightly colored images happening in an order very rapidly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's a movie, but especially a modern one. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, that was, I think that was to me the, the sort of, you know, biggest thing is it's, there were a lot of eye rolling moments to this, but I think yeah. the real, there were a few of them that I think were on stage, you know, were done on screen mm-hmm. in a way that they were sort of recognized to be eye rolling moments. Quite frankly, Luke pulling the star, the, the X wing out, I think was a little I, bit I didn't care. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, so, so, okay, so we've learned that Force Ghosts can call down lightning and blow things up. They can <laughs> catch lightsabers in the air, which presumably means they can also fight with a lightsaber. <laughs> And they can use the Force to affect things in the real world. Why don't the Force ghosts of all the dead Jedi just come fight all the Sith monsters in the arena? <laughs> yeah. Which is why I thought that was going to happen, too. I'm, I, and I, I get into this later, but, you know, with, with sci-fi and, and fantasy and genre films, you have to have rules for how the universe works. And part of the movie is teaching the audience the rules, which is fun. It's the world yeah. building. We like that. But then you have to follow them. <laughs> and and the Force Ghost thing, I, I felt like, was introduced in a very limited fashion in the original trilogy purely for convenient narrative purposes. Yoda's gone because we need to kill him. And so somebody has to resolve the question of who the Skywalkers are. Luke needs to have a conversation yeah. with Obi-Wan. Alec Guinness is getting older. Let's get him on screen, you know. Yeah, and we had the original Obi-Wan appear in Empire Strikes Back, but there's a real question of was he the hallucination because you Han Rice. Yeah, they him. leave it a little ambiguous and yeah. it doesn't actually get resolved until Return of the Jedi when we actually see a real Force ghost for the first time, I think, yeah. is when we see Obi-Wan talking to Luke. Yeah. No, again, we do see, I mean, Obi-Wan is a Force ghost, obviously, in Empire, you know, yeah. that's what it is. But again, one of the things I always really liked about the way they portrayed him is you have, you know, Luke essentially hallucinating, you know, he's been out in the cold, he's freezing to death, mm-hmm. and it's this whole, like, you know, help me, you know, help me, Obi-Wan, he's reaching out to him, and then you have Han ride through Obi-Wan. Uh, the idea, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of this, like, metaphysical power of the Force influencing yeah. events here. Well, Empire is written smartly to, to not, I mean, we all know now how it works, but you got to think back to when you first saw it. Luke sees the Obi-Wan hallucination, and you don't know if it's for real or not. But then he goes to Dagobah, and there is a Jedi Master there, so yeah. maybe it's something. Um, but then at the end, he's hanging off Cloud City, and he calls out to Ben first for help yeah. and gets nothing, and then switches to Leia, who's nearby. 
So you're thinking, well, maybe it wasn't really anything, and Ben really is just gone. Yeah. Because he asked for help and didn't get anything. So the movie kind of establishes that you don't just get to conveniently summon these these past Jedi to help you. Yeah. And we never saw any direct interference or activity of any kind. The most we had was Alec Guinness. Yeah. I mean, the ghost sits on a log. You know, well, and you also about. have the issue in conjunction with it. I think it's also, I think Yoda has just died. Mm-hmm. We have a disturbance in the Force. Could this be part of the reason why we have Ben resurfacing? You know, mm-hmm. it worked. Yeah. Um, the, I think the, the Ben ghost scene was there primarily to explain away why Obi-Wan told Luke Vader killed his father, yes. which we, we later learn is not actually true. Probably was meant to be true when they wrote Star Wars, but yeah. they had to retcon it. So that, that's why it's there. And then since we did it once, we'll throw in all the Force ghosts at the end as like a happy, we're putting a bow on the story thing. Yeah. But now that we have this plot device, you have two choices. You either stop using it yeah. or you establish the rules for it and, and then you can use it. They, they did neither. They did not stop using well, they, it. They did establish rules for it in the prequels. Of the idea any... that it takes time to figure out how to be able to contact, you know, because it's, it's the whole thing where it's, you know, Qui-Gon has now passed beyond, mm-hmm. you know, we've encountered his force ghost. They, okay, this takes some time before they can actually do this. They have to do it, which if you have time passage in Return of the Jedi, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some time that has to pass to basically people to figure this out. Maybe how powerful they are depends on how long it takes to do it. But then you also have to basically have an understanding of how to contact them. Where it's, okay, Luke maybe got that because of severe duress on Hoth. He has some idea that they're out there and so he can contact them. You know, hey, you know, Obi-Wan, you need to learn how to do this. And this mm-hmm. is a special force skill. You know, these are They kind of set that up. But like, but, you and know, then we use none of that again in the yeah. later three. Then, then, <laughs> but, you know, Yoda can call down lightning. You know, well, if, if they can do all these things, then then they can do anything. And, and all the other characters are null and void. Like, yeah. You, you, no, nobody really dies either then because, you know, Luke comes back in this yeah. one. So It becomes too much, of a, to lack of sort of a better term to pick on it a little bit, is to, it becomes a world of wizards yeah. as opposed to being a wizard is unique. Well, and it becomes a crutch, too, for writers who are like, how do I deal with this? Oh, I'll just bring so-and-so back. Yeah. That'll make the fans happy and let me explain something Yeah, without having to introduce a new character nobody knows. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's, there's the comment of, you know, writing yourself in the corner and stuff, but I mean, this is a thing that you shouldn't be writing yourself into the corner with. But again, I think, what what to me was you know intriguing about the Force Ghost is it you could very easily have just made the Force Ghost advisors you could have had it again it kind of felt that way with the Sith that's kind of the way they made the Sith like oh these are advisors yes they're here it's an audience the, the Force Ghosts are here this is important they're all mm-hmm. in Palpatine they have to be here this is their planet but at the same time it's a they don't have any effect you know so yeah they're just kind of there yeah they're just kind of there. Okay, uh, your biggest all the feels moment. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have trouble with, quite frankly, them. I'm going to say it a bit badly, but I think it's shoehorning emotion into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I really have trouble with the idea that there are any genuine emotional scenes in Star Wars movies. The only one in this movie that I really felt was was really handled well and satisfactory was the Han Solo. The Han Solo one, and I have to agree with you in that. And quite frankly, it's you know, say what you like about Harrison Ford in conjunction with it. The way they did that scene was Han Solo. It was. And Harrison Ford could have so easily phoned all this stuff in. He knew how badly they wanted him to do this role. He didn't want to and didn't care. Yeah. And he's been about a, about as good of a sport as Harrison Ford is capable of being. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought he did a, a great job with all this stuff, making us feel like it really was Han Solo again. And that maybe just because I'm a dad now, but like that particular scene... Like, when they when he gets killed in Seven, I didn't like the way he went out. I understood why they did it, but that's pretty brutal, man. Like, you walk up to your old man, look him in the face, and stab him in the gut, you know? Yeah. Who, and it's not like his dad was, like, an abusive alcoholic or anything. He was yeah, just sort he just of wasn't a, there. Right? He was, yeah, he was just sort of a, 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 a guy who wasn't suited to be a dad in the yeah. first place. And, you know, and 
So it's not like he was a bad guy. So you know, there, it's hard to understand that. And then the turn of the dark side, and and they kind of laid the groundwork for in eight. You know, Snoke says to Kylo Ren, "Yeah, you did it, but it it tore your soul in half. So you didn't really turn to the dark side because it sh- it shouldn't have affected you that way yeah. if you truly had turned." And of course, you know, we find out that it didn't it didn't really turn him. So having that scene where those two characters get to reconcile and we get to have a more proper send off to Han Solo than he's falling down a mine shaft like a gutted fish. Like yeah. just the imagery I just didn't like like, like that's yeah. the way Han Solo went. And the other out. thing I thought was really great about it is the fact that they say he's not a force ghost, he's essentially a memory. They show him differently, he appears on different on screen, yep. and he appears in the Force Ghost. And the inclusion of I mean, what is by far Han Solo's favorite I famous I know yeah. you know line. And you mentioned this, I think, is great. The fact that Ben doesn't even say the setup is yeah. what works so well. Because yeah, it's- you know, that's exactly right. And and there's a number of things I thought he could have said. I'm sorry, I love you, whatever. And and the way that they, they cut the scene, it didn't even land on me when I saw it live that it was a reference back to Empire Strikes Back. It wasn't until afterwards, like, oh, they were, you know, they were doing a callback to that. And yeah. I, I should have recognized it, but the scene was... Acted and I mean Adam Driver was by far I thought the best performance in the movie and him and Harrison Ford in that scene were, were the highlight of the whole thing. I, and it was I, all I done think he had some enough. of the best and worst, quite frankly, acting in the movie. Who did uh, Adam that, Dreyer. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what, were the, what were the bad scenes? Um, I think it, the scene immediately before that, his scene where he's dying in conjunction, he's been stabbed, he's dying in conjunction with Ray. I think he actually does a very poor job doing. Mm-hmm. And again, part of that is. I have I can point to very few emotional scenes in Star Wars that I think are well done. Um, you know, again, the, the the harking back scene, you know, the Leia the Leia Han Solo scene in the yeah. Carbonite Chamber is another one that's well done. And we know, I mean, from long history of the fact that that was ad lib, that was not yeah. the line, they couldn't figure out how to make Han do it. That was one of the few poignant scenes. The one I always comment about, and it's it's one that always struck me is, and I'm going to go back to Episode Two, and it's you know Padme and Anakin before they're sent out into the gladiatorial arena, and they're having that same kind of moment yeah. of that. It's, you know, and, and just thing, I love Lanny Portman as an actress. I think she's one of the, the sort of best actresses that, out there that right now. That scene right there, well, like when they're side by side in the chariot and about to go out through that archway yeah. into the arena, that is the best scene of the entire prequels, I think. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. But unfortunately, the just before that is so forced. That's the thing. The scene itself is one of the best done scenes. It's well acted. But the romance of those characters is so poorly set yeah. up and unbelievable that by the time you get there, you're like, what does she see in him? Well, know? and the comment I had really from it, as I said, what really comes across to me is it's it comes across so much as the, you know, Anakin comes across as the teenager who has no understanding of love because he's not allowed to experience it. He's not supposed to experience it. It's yeah. denied Which him. Which makes sense narratively, but they don't set that up that very yeah. well either. We just kind of have to figure that out on our own. And Star Wars is not a movie that's about asking you to figure things out. Yeah, and it comes across well as what it is. But, you know, that scene, as I said, the only emotional poignancy in that scene is Natalie Portman's acting. Mm-hmm. It's Her line is horrid. Mm-hmm. But it sounds so sincere. Yeah, and it's she's really good. Where she, you know, she's good, and it, and it shows. I was kind of, that, that was the scene that truly made it to me, is like, she is really good as an actress, because it's like, that scene... But Hayden Christensen's a fine actor, apart. too. They're doing yeah. the best they could with some ham-fisted material. With some real <laughs> ham-fisted lines, some really bad lines, and stuff like that. And they do, it does get some emotional poignancy in it, but because the lines are so bad, yeah. it just doesn't work. And yeah, that's what I said, like, like, uh, I have trouble with that, and now you have the problem that anytime they try to do these sort of emotional scenes... I'm constantly hampered by the dialogue. Well, think, let's think about episode four. What's the most emotional scene in episode four? You know, when, uh, when Ben dies, basically? Yeah, it's got to be with him with the... Or you could have it sort of with the scene when Leia sort of comes up and puts the cloak on him afterward. I, mean, I can't believe he's gone. Yeah. You know? There's a couple of tender moments there, but there's it's an adventure movie. There's not a yeah. lot of deep emotion. Empire Strikes Back has a lot more. You've got... Um, 
you know, Han and Leia while they're fixing the Falcon. You've got you know, the scene where he's being tortured. You'd never see that in a Star Wars movie yeah. now. Well, even the initial scene where Leia kisses Luke and sort of out of spite for Han, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. kind of hilarious that's now. Why, but... I think that's why the movie's the best. Like, just so, the whole movie is slow-moving character development with a relatively few handful of action sequences. There's not a ton of action yeah. in there. Uh, and then, you know, the, the scenes at the end, I mean, there's, there's a lot of just getting beaten over the head over and over and over with, with well-done but short emotional yeah. scenes. And Luke's entire fight with Vader is an emotional scene, yeah. basically. Well, even, quite frankly, Londo and Han. Yeah. It's a very emotional scene. The yeah. idea these are old friends, but they had some, you know, difficult parting, you know, whatever it might be, and what's coming back to haunt them. But the Return of the Jedi doesn't have as much of that, you know? Yeah. You get a little bit in Java, you know, Jabba's you, chambers. You but get Jabba's chambers. It's you, just setting up an action sequence, yeah. and then we go to Dagobah, and then we set up three action sequences that take place at once. The only one I think you could say you have it is it's, and, and I'm going to credit it to John Williams' music, is them in the Ewok village, Luke and Leia talking about their past. Yeah, that one is pretty good. You know, it's pretty good, but the, uh, that scene is made by John Williams' music in yeah. many respects. It's it's he's the Luke that's when Luke decides he has that. to go back. Yeah, that that, that is well done. Uh, and then when the the you know the climax of the entire thing is when Luke finally loses his mind and goes crazy on Vader and cuts yeah. his arm off, and that, that's also pretty well done. But the, but the point is that's nine hours of filming we just went over, and there's a handful of scenes. Yeah, and then and then these sequels, there's just not much of it there. Again, there's also not much of it there. Though I do think here the one problem you really bumped into is it's. Some of them felt forced. Again, the one that I think is is it's, and if I remember, Rose and Finn have a the, the slight tender moment. They have a kiss. Yeah. I don't know if they kiss or they have a, at least a parting goodbye. If you know, they head off in different directions. You kind of have this like, wait, do they have a falling out type of feeling with it? And there's no yeah. explanation. There's nothing for it. So that would have been more interesting if, if like we learned that in the in the in the off season, you know, kind of between these two movies, they did develop a romance and then they parted ways. And when we're coming back to see them again as the audience, there's this emotional distance. Would have made both characters a little more believable and interesting. Yeah, and but almost it, like the you know it would have also worked with you know I'm not going on the mission I have to do this thing could have been no I'm doing this thing so I'm not with you. Yeah, like there could have been something to that, and you could you know if you're gonna write Rose out, which I think is a mistake, but there's I don't know a smarter way to do it. I yeah, guess there, was easy, smart, there was vastly smarter ways to do it. All right, um, so let's do um, okay. So the fan base on the fanboy scale, uh, <laughs> normally the scales go from one to ten. We go from Phantom Menace to Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> where, where do you where do you put this one? Um, so I, I think as to you know where I have it, I would definitely put this as in my mind sort of the second best of the last three. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm a fan of episode eight. I actually enjoyed episode eight. I really think I did too. Eight of the, the last three, I would put episode eight as as the the best of yeah. them. Yeah. The big question I have sort of with this one is where does this rank against sort of my. I guess I'd say my lowest tier of the original trilogy, which is Return of the Jedi. Well, before that, is it better than all three of the prequels? Well, so that's what the thing I bump into is it's where to me it gets messy is sort of my lowest rank of the um, the the original trilogy uh, is Conjunction's Return of the Jedi. My highest rank of the of the prequel trilogy is in many respects a, sort of the you know our, our finale, mm-hmm. um, you know as we come into the sort of Revenge of the Sith episode three, yeah, episode three, but by far the best of those, by easily. far the best of those. I have trouble at times sort of putting those two against each other because they're they're tainted by what they're in front of. You know, mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi is is the lowest, and that's the top, and they'd rank them together is sort yeah. of what it is. Because Jedi is really two movies, right? You've got the Jabba's yeah. Palace scene, which is fantastic, but it's, it's a little 45-minute movie unto itself. Yep. And then and then it's just kind of winding down action to resolve some hanging plot points. And some cool, interesting moments and yeah. presentations, sort of things like that. Whereas, again, like episode three, you get into these just sort of, hey, we've got the real fall, but you've got these just incredibly forced scenes in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. You, the idea that, like, the fall's not as dramatic as it could have been. This is, like, the most dramatic moment of three movies. So you kind of, I kind of bump into that. And so that's my thing is it's where does it fit relative to those? And I guess to me, I would put it above 
episode three mm-hmm. and below Return of the Jedi. But I there's times when I'd even put episode three above Return of the Jedi. So it's one of those where I'm right in there is where I sort of feel like we're, we're, we're solidly mediocre. Yeah. It, but where in the mediocrity we are, I'm not sure. It's yeah. not one of the best ones. It's definitely not one of the worst ones. I'm kind of with you. I would put all three of the originals above all three of the sequels. And I think I would put all three of the sequels above all three of the prequels. For the most part. Yeah. In terms of just overall quality. It's just, but you're right. It's hard to isolate any one of them and say where it fits in this pantheon. Because you have to look at each one. To do that, you have to look at each one as just a movie by itself. Yeah. But you can't look at any of them, and I would except almost, for Star Wars, as a movie by itself. Yeah. And I would almost always put two of each of the trilogies above the third by a fairly long margin. And so that's where it yeah. then bumps into, well, when I say that, and I put Return of the Jedi that far below that, does something else, does one of the best ones and the other one pop up above it? You know, same as like yeah, episode two and episode point. three are so much better than episode one. Are they really, is, is it really worse than, you know, episode yeah. seven? I don't so know. So if you're going to do all nine, so I'll give you my order. I would probably go five and then four for sure. Yep. I think we're both going to agree and five and four. Probably then it gets two. tricky. I might even say eight next. I yep. know it, it's like a, kind of a controversial film, but just in terms of how well it's made and how how coherent the, the, the vision is on it. Yep. I'm going to stick with you, actually. I'm going to go yeah. five, four. I'm actually going to put eight up there. And I, I'm I'd probably say eight saying next. Eight there. Uh, then I would probably go with Jedi, although I can't tell if that's because it really is that good or because... I saw it when I was eight years old, and I just remember it, and, and one of the first movies I ever saw. But I'd go Jedi next, then probably uh, seven, then nine, then basically three, two, one. Okay. And that's the thing is, it's, I think we're basically sort of in conjunction with it. I think um, I would, as well, I'd probably put seven above nine. I think the real question I sort of get into is, I would probably put seven, quite frankly, to me, a Netflix above Jedi. But I would also then say I've got the... You know, I've now got episode three kind of warring in there. Of exactly where does episode well, three fit in there? Well, tough because it's a soft reboot too. So, I mean, is it a better movie than Jedi? Well, yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. And, and you know, speaking of things that don't make any sense, we overlook all the plot points in Jedi that make no sense at all. Yeah. When you why are we building a second Death Star where the first one didn't work? Well, it's just like what was Luke's plan going into Jabba's palace? Like, if you watch it and think, okay, was this the plan all along? Like, did he see all this coming? It has all of the same, we have space wizards who see the future problems yeah. that the prequels have. But since we saw it when we were eight, we don't care. Yeah. You know, we overlook those warts. Yeah, and then definitely, you know, one and two are the lowest. And I think it's unfortunate because I still think some of, one of the best scenes I still think of all the movies is in episode one, which is the final Jedi battle in episode one, where the fact that the Jedi are actually acrobatic. Yeah, it's it's incredibly well done. The reason the scene doesn't work is not because it's not well done. It's because there's no stakes. We don't yeah. know who these characters are, and we don't care. Yeah, and and there's just it, it's is a scene. It's great, but as a movie, it's terrible. And I think you get it. There's stuff in episode two that I'm in the same way about. You know, even though I put yeah. it really low, there's stuff in episode nine that I'm the same way about. You know, and it's it, it's I constantly have those things where I'm like, there's there's great scenes in these movies that unfortunately are hampered by the rest of the movie. And then you look at it and say, there's great movies in these trilogies that are unfortunately hampered by the rest of the trilogy. So I've, I've got this working theory for why these trilogies are all so so different. I think you'd probably agree that the original and this new trilogy are probably the closest in, in tone uh, and overall quality. Yeah. And the prequels are by far the, the lowest of these. Um, but I've, I've got a theory that the reason why it, it's like this, the, the original trilogy, I think... Um, hit perfect circumstances. You have, and, and let me back up. I think what's missing from the sequels is George Lucas. I never thought I would say that after yeah, seeing and, the prequels. And I, I agree with you, but quite frankly. It, it, you know, Kathleen Kennedy at Disney was put in charge of sort of the, the direction of the Star Wars property. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know her or anything about her, but I just don't understand the decision-making process of saying, we know we're going to make a trilogy. We're going to hire somebody who's notorious for not knowing how to tie up loose ends and not really finishing a narrative arc. 
have him write the first chapter and then hand it off to somebody else. And it wasn't going to get handed off to a, a third person, I think. Uh, um, Trevorrow was supposed yeah, to do the quite frankly thing? I think they, they should have fended it off to a third probably person probably should have so, I, I, I actually the, you, I think J.J. Abrams as episode 7 was fine again I, I don't think episode 7 is particularly bad I think there's a little too much fan service in yeah. it um, and, and it's what I expected J.J. Abrams to do and yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him he's a good director I like, I like his, his movies. movies yeah I would see yeah. movies simply because he's a director in them because I like his movies but the I think what you really bumped into with it and again it's sort of your, your idea that Lucas is missing what I really think was missing from it is it didn't have a story. It was a, we wanted to reboot Star Wars, but didn't know what to do with it. It was a sequence of events involving characters, and there was no overarching, unifying sort of narrative theme or vision. The the creative direction was not there. It was recycling a bunch of old ideas, putting them into a blender, pulling them out in a different order, and stitching it all together. Which, you know, if if you like Star Wars, it was fun to watch. It was satisfying in a lot of ways. But I don't feel like it told a story, really. But then I really felt another thing I think with it is, and particularly I think episode nine suffered from this, and I think that's why episode seven suffered from it as well, but episode eight did not as much. To me, episode nine had way too much fan service in it. It, it, it seemed like it was, we need, we want to show you this because we all know you want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, we want Emperor Palpatine. We want somebody who's like definitively evil. We want to have, you know, Leah have a lightsaber. We want, it's all like, these are things that well, you can understand. What else can they do after Snoke's dead, right? Like, they decided Kylo Ren as a threat. He's already been humanized, and we know he's going to be redeemed somehow. So what's what's left? Like, yeah. like something else has but to be there. But there's your arc problem. I mean, yeah. there's your arc problem. And, and again, I think you could have so done we say it. It was Palpatine the whole yeah. time. Well, again, I'm going to jump on this draft script. And if you guys haven't seen it, you know the listeners that are out there, I would look this thing up. It's very interesting. It's supposedly real. Um, it's what is the draft script? In many respects, Hux became the bad boy. Um, that would have made a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. he because he has the rivalry with Palpatine, and there was some some tension there, the same way there was with Vader. Yeah, or well, and, Palpatine with, with with Kylo Ren. Yeah, and and the, the thing that they sort of set up, and the thing that I liked actually in in conjunction with, he's set up as essentially becoming a brutal dictator, and the idea that you know it's hey, I have the space wizard, you know, we had we had the space wizard who had his own agenda. My agenda is I intend to you know grind the universe under my boot heel. Yeah, I would love to see him turn into the the um. The equivalent of the, the Han Solo character. Like, I don't, I don't buy all this mysticism and stuff. I don't need any of that stuff. This is a military operation. Yeah. We're going to be a military. And I think they were doing a little bit of that. And even the idea of, you know, there being sort of an evil government. And apparently, like, one of the scenes in it is you were actually going to see the new headquarters. And it was literally the, the Coruscant, the building yeah. we've seen from episode one that was the, the Republic's headquarters, is a ruin. And they built the other one on top of it. And it that was like, okay, cool. you know, like, this is literally grinding the Republic underneath your boot heel type of feel. So I, I feel like the original trilogy works so well because you had Lucas's creativity and vision. But you had enough ex- ex- externalities, enough enough outside limitations and controls on that yeah. to to rein in some of his more his terrible tendencies. Because with, with with creativity, you know, with genius comes insanity. You know, yeah. you, you needed about ten percent of his core ideas to be shaped and molded into a coherent form, and they had that with the original trilogy. They had budget limitations. They had casting limitations. They had his wife was the editor, and, and she fixed a lot of structural problems with how the story was being told. And then you had John Williams, you know, who had a, a score that made it all work. So, you know, you had the magical combination of a, a guy with creativity, enough budget to do a lot of it, but not enough budget to do all of it. Yeah. And then other people in charge saying, okay, you know, this is this is this is Fox's last bet on movies, and if this doesn't work, we're out of business. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you know, shoot shoot for the moon, kid. And, and they did. Uh, and then the, the prequels were the opposite. It was all George Lucas's creativity with nobody standing up to him and saying, this idea is terrible and stupid. Yeah. You know? And it badly needed that. And you also the, didn't have really good direction. 
in the in the first no. ones, I don't think. You no. know, and it's you know, Lucas was I think taking more active hand in direction. It shows well cast. It just yeah, people it's, misused. I take that back. Samuel L. Jackson was not well cast for his role. I think he was well cast for his role if they would have made his role what it should have been. Well, exactly. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's a, he's an energetic, loud, uh action y shouty kind of actor. And they yeah. made him play this quiet, contemplative, wise Jedi. No. Yeah, he should have been much more general. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It would have worked as to what it was. You know, hey, I'm the head of the Jedi Council. We're all generals. I am the lead general. I'm, you know, yep. he's, he could have been a military figure, quite frankly. You know, it's what it is. But yeah, I think there was a, a bit of an issue there. And I'm exactly right. I think it was the, the prequels were creativity out of control. And the sequels and, were all the production value and all the oversight and everything else, but no creative spark in the middle of it. Yeah, and and you saw the creative spark and then it didn't go anywhere. And again, part of yeah. that, I think, was the, like, episode 9 feeling they need to reset, episode 8, episode 8 feeling they need to reset, episode 7. Mm-hmm. It was them imposing their own creativity as opposed to being, no, this is where we're going to go. You know, this is the movie you're writing. Yeah. By the end of episode 3, this is where we're going to be. By the end of episode 2, this is where we're going to be. By the end of episode 1, this is where we're going to be. Now write it. Yep. Then they, I think we would have worked. They needed Lucas as, like, a creative consultant in a non-binding capacity to say, here's where I see this going, here's some ideas, they would have probably discarded 90% of it, but the 10% they would have kept would have tied all three of these films yeah. together into something a little more yeah. cohesive. And you really see it, it's, I think, even when you look at any sort of the great collaborations, any kind of great movies, great businesses in many respects, you always have the sort of, the, crea- the crazy creative person and the financial person who deals with everything else and it works. And when you have that combination, everything works really well. And Star Wars had the perfect storm of that. It was fortunate. It was in many respects more luck than planning. Yeah. I think Empire was more planning. Like they, and that's the reason why I think everybody says Empire is the best one of it is they realized that was what was needed. You know, they brought in a very talented director. Well, a very um, different type of movie. Star Wars was action adventure space it's western. western. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back was uh, a much more slow and methodical movie that was about these characters. And and I, you, know, you and I were talking the other day about what, what went wrong with the sequels. And I, I've got one specific thing that I think sent the entire thing on the wrong path. Everything was either working fine or was salvageable up until Ray reaches out and hands that lightsaber to Luke. And they end the movie there. And the problem is, then you basically have to pick up the next movie where that left off. Then you look at episode 4 versus 5, where... They blow up the Death Star. We're all getting medals and ribbons, and we've forgotten about the fact that there's still this Imperial fleet that controls everything. <laughs> Who cares? The movie's over. And then three years go by. And yeah. so you have all of this off-screen development of these characters where you can kind of rewrite the characters. You can, you can slot them into the roles they need to have in the film where it picks up. And there's growth there, and there's things that can happen off-screen that you can't you can't present yeah. in, in, a, in a convincing fashion in a two-hour movie. So Han Solo goes from the smuggler with the heart of gold to Captain Solo in the Rebellion, who's been dodging bounty hunters, and his life is about to catch up to him. He's trying to get back to it and pay off his debts. Yeah. We don't have to see all that. We can just be told in his conversation with General Riken that he has to go, you know, because yeah. he's going to get someone's going to kill him eventually if he doesn't. We've seen Luke He's also mature. attracting un- undesired attention to the rebellion, which yeah. is still a rebellion. This is not an accepted yeah. sort We've of force. We've seen Luke mature. We've seen Leia mature into her roles. We've seen the rebellion mature. You can see that they're outmanned or on the gun. A lot of things have happened that's conveyed to us very effectively the, in a visual way. The other thing we actually see occur in Empire Strikes Back is the Empire matures. Yes. We see them We go see f- the strength and breadth of their yeah. fleet. We see the relationships with their commanders. I mean, the relationship between Captain Piet and Admiral Ozzel. Plays out in probably six total minutes of screen time. Yeah, it's better written than anybody in in the, in the sequels. <laughs> yeah, and that's I think the thing that would one of the things we do is we get to the fact that like no this you know the rebellion had this scored this tremendous victory it's an amazing thing and in the following three years they couldn't follow up on it yeah like, it's it still matter. a rebellion yeah, you blew this up the one something. thing yeah. all these ships are still out there Vader survived he's in charge of it all he's taken on a more prominent role with Tarkin being gone 
All this stuff just happens, and it's just shown to us in a really effective way. With episode eight, it starts three minutes later. Yeah. You know, the next scene is, is, is Luke picking up the lightsaber and literally throwing it over his yeah, shoulder. Yeah, which we know is symbolic. And then they're evacuating the rebel base, so that happens right away. And if you kind of watch those all together, you're like, well, wait a minute. The last thing we saw was, was the Empire on the run. The planet's blowing up. Kylo Ren's been knocked out. They're scrambling. And then this entire giant fleet shows up half an hour later while they're evacuating. Where was that fleet all this time? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's because they needed more, um, more time in the story yeah. to let the characters grow and breathe and kind of reseat them in the in the story. The, the, the story, I mean, the, the sequels as a whole had timing problems. Yeah. It, it, the time, the, how much time takes place between things? It was better in nine. You got to see that yeah. there's some things. I don't know how much time has passed. A couple months, presumably, maybe a year. Yeah, but some time has passed, which it has to, so they can establish yeah. a new base and do these things. But interestingly, that works so much better. And we're we're going to get into this. We're not going to talk about it. Is it? That's my primary complaint with the Mandalorian is the Mandalorian, that the sense of timing isn't there. You don't understand yeah. when things take place. So I'm not going to get into that now, but I think that, that is, there's a, a very valid issue, I think, in the yeah. that sequels of just what is the timing. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I actually have in our notes here uh, an additional six pages of what I call narrative nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> narrative nitpicking. We might save this another episode, but uh, uh, really quickly, uh, opening sequence. We, Kirk, you and, I, you and I talked about how the, 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 we see Kylo Ren looking for the Wayfinder. Yeah. And he's on some planet just murdering people. Yeah. And we're like, we don't know who the planet is or who these people are. And then he's he finds it and he leaves. Uh, and we said, wouldn't it make more sense if that was like Vader's castle or something? Why didn't he go to Mustafar yeah. and say it was there? Uh, well, it turns out that was Mustafar and he's fighting the natives. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't remember those people from episode three, but uh, they did do that. They just didn't bother to tell us for some reason. I don't get that. Uh, and then we've got a Pasana, the planet with the Burning Man Festival. I'm glad I'm the only person who immediately said that's the Burning Man Festival. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought. I, I still don't understand uh, a bunch of that. Um, I think the one the one place that you and I both thought the scenery worked really well was what I call the World War II planet. <laughs> okay. When they're going to get 3PO hacked so they can get him to talk yes. in Sith language. And they go to this planet that looks like, uh, you know, uh, Berlin or, or Poland, like in 1943, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's snowy and they're going door to door and it just has kind of a World War Two. It has a very dark World War Two feel it's, to it. Which let's face it, that's what the Empire is. Yeah, it's it's carried out extremely well. That whole sequence is kind of also pointless, but uh, that that setting was really well done, uh, and I really liked how they. How yeah, they the other problem out. is it didn't make any sense in timing. No, it didn't. Um, and Endor. So I, I looked this up because we talked about how did, the, how did the Death Star blow up and crash on on Endor. Bear in mind, Endor is the planet. Not the, the moon. moon. The moon is the forest moon of Endor, and yes. I looked this up. The Death Star does not crash on the forest moon of Endor. It is blown out of orbit and inexplicably crashes largely intact on the ocean moon of Endor somewhere else. Even though we see it explode. Oh, and then we see it explode even more in the special edition. Have you ever seen a video of like some large piece of equipment uh, falling over like a crane or a building or something. Yeah. These things are not engineered to withstand the fall forces that they experience under their own weight, and they immediately collapse. Now let's take a thing that's engineered to float in a vacuum. Yeah. Okay. It does not have the structural integrity to survive a a a you know atmospheric speed collision with a, it. Should be vaporized. There should yeah. be nothing left of it or half the moon. But there it sits. It just made no sense. And you know what? I don't expect hyper-realism from my Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Just enough they're not going, how? How? Yeah. Did nobody ever put one second of thought into this well, scene? And my problem wasn't the Death Star. My problem was the, why do we have this dagger that points to some yes. ruined portion okay. of the Death so this Star? Is, this is the only narrative nitpick I really want to get into in any detail. 
So <laughs> let's, let's go through the sequence we're, of events. We're both going to chew up the dagger. I, I wrote this down. <laughs> sequence of events. Death Star 2 explodes. Wreckage lands on the ocean moon of Endor. And then this... No, ha- on Endor, not the moon. Ocean right. moon of okay. Endor. Then this happens at some point. Somebody goes down there to where it is and decides that, that one, the Sith Wayfinder is in the broom closet in the throne room and we may need it someday. We're not going to actually go get it, although we know exactly where it is. We're going to leave it there. Yep. Okay. And we're going to make a map so somebody else who doesn't know where it is can find it. Who? We don't know. Presumably the guy that makes this map. Who is this? Ouchie or Ochi or whatever yeah. his name is? So while standing in a specific spot on the cliff, rather than just writing down <laughs> or taking a picture of it or something, you know, with his iPhone, <laughs> he decides, I'm going to make a knife. Yeah. As you do. When you want to remember where something is, you make a knife out of it. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to inscribe which moon I was on, not where I was standing, but which moon I was on, not explain how to use the knife to find it and have a little slidey thing, and then that, that's how we're going to find it. Then we're just going to assume that this planet with 400-foot waves and, and a giant metal thing sit. I mean, the Titanic is dying, okay? The ocean is eating it. Uh, but the Death Star is going to sit there in this ocean with these giant waves and just never be disturbed for the yeah. next decade. So somebody makes this knife, and that is the map. And then the guy that has the knife is... Ochi? Ochi. Ochi. Yeah. He then kills yeah, he Ray's... May have, he may have made the knife. We're not may have made it. Clear. We're never told. He then, at some point after that, because he has it, kills Ray's parents. Yes. Because they won't tell him where Ray is, even though the Emperor um, uh, doesn't want to kill her after all. But, but we're not told he that. Wants to, he wants to catch her. He's yeah, he's yeah. his bounty hunter. And then, and then he goes to Burning Man. <laughs> all right? Yeah. And then dies... Like three miles away, underneath the snake pit, by, by a snake, yeah, a snake. What, what, why? What was he doing? Why was yeah. he there? I, I don't understand. And then Luke apparently figures out that he was there with the knife because Luke had tracked the wayfinder there, but the wayfinder was never there. Just the knife was. Yeah. And then they follow Luke's instructions to go find his dead body and the knife. I guess they got lucky that he happened to die there, or they would have been had a cold trail. And then uh, that's kind of where. It, so that's the sequence of events, right? Yeah. That's that's well, lunacy. And then the other problem with it is, is that when you start going through that secret events, it starts to imply no. Wait, Ochi made the, the knife after he, you know, after he killed Ray and after he was on the Burning Man. No, wait, he has he has it in both I, places. I, I don't understand it, and I, it only works because while you're watching it, you're like, this is fun. <laughs> this is a fun movie, and things are happening. So you don't stop to think about any of this. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm like, none of this makes any yeah. sense. As I'm watching it, I know. When I stop and think about this afterwards, none of this will make any sense. Well, and the one that I had trouble with, and it's actually something that I caught, and again, remember, I saw just the three quarters of the movie, so I didn't actually see the full thing about who Ray's parents were. Mm-hmm. I had seen this, the knife stabbing scene, but I didn't get the follow-up from Kylo Ren and the rest of it as to who her parents were. When I saw it, I thought it was Beru and Lars. Oh. That's who I actually thought. So when I saw the imagery, that I'm like, made even is that Beru sense. and Lars? And the idea that it was like, okay, they're, you know, they're actually there, they're the parents. And my immediate take is, oh, that's why, you know, that that was the way they hit her. They hit her with with Beru and Lars, you know, that's what it was. Because they, they weren't actually dead, the whole thing. And that's where I thought they were going to go. And I was like, wait, this doesn't reconcile with everything else then that I yeah. saw at Beastmeal. And then when I saw the explanation, it's, oh, okay, they're they're non-entities we've never seen before. Yeah. Okay. And I've also got, and i got it written down here, <laughs> um, my, my Skywalker family genealogy. All right, so this is the last thing. Aren't Ray and Kylo Ren, like, 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 
half second cousins? It, I can't. So, I don't know. So okay, I've got. I've got at the top. I've got Bill Palpatine. I don't know what his first name is. I know his first name is. So I got Emperor. I got, I got Bill, 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 Bill Palpatine and Shmi Skywalker have Anakin here. Anakin and Padme have Leia. Leia and Solo have Ben. Right. So so Bill is is Ben's one, two, th- th- three generations up, and then Bill Bill has a, a, with an unknown other uh, woman has another daughter. We think. We see yeah. the daughter, uh, who then has Ray, and then there's a stepdad, I guess, again. And so Ray would be half cousins with Leia and Luke, um, which means that she would be second cousins, I guess, with or whatever's once removed. I can't I remember the whole yeah. genealogy thing. So you know, and and someone challenged me on this and said, well, we don't. I mean, we don't know that Palpatine is Anakin's uh, uh, father, but we do. There was a comic that said that, and Disney has confirmed that it is canon. So, um, so so there you go. I. I, this, I'll, I'll put a picture of this up on our Twitter feed, and everybody can challenge me on my, my Bill Palpatine genealogy. Palpatine. The, the, the Hobbit, it is not. <laughs> I, still like, I think his first name should be Emperor, because they're all Emperor, right? Well, you know, when the prequels came out, his name was given as Kos, K-O-S. Remember that being in IMDB at the time? Okay. It's since been changed to something else. I forget what it was. Okay. But, uh, but he's, he's Bill in my book. Okay, so we've, we've run a long time. We'll go through other narrative nitpicks at some other time. That might be an episode we do just for fun to say, yeah. you know, to go through some of these. But the, the dagger is the one that just... Kind of, pardon the pun, stuck in me. I was yeah, just like, I it's just, such a MacGuffin. It, I know. The problem is, it's such a MacGuffin. I know. It's a whole movie full of MacGuffins. MacGuffins in search of MacGuffins. So there we are. Um, all right. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, so next up. So this is season three, episode one. We were going to talk some Baby Yoda, but we'll kick that to, uh, to the next episode, I think. Uh, so like I said at the beginning, we're going to experiment with some new formats, some new types of episodes. And we're going to be looking at doing some shorter format episodes just to make sure we can get more content out. We might talk about one case or one topic or updating a prior case or something like that in a more condensed format. We also had the idea of doing a new type of episode where we don't talk about the law or, or the geek stuff specifically so much as how uh, old IP disputes have shaped the modern face of these things. And the Kirk, example yeah. Kirk gave me is we have certain movie studios now because of patent disputes with Thomas Edison. Yeah, <laughs> actually most of the movie studios now. So that'll that'll be interesting. Um, and then we'll do, uh, like I said, we'll do probably do some follow-up episodes to revisit topics we covered years ago now that have new developments. And if we just run out of time and don't have any content, we will uh, selectively and strategically pick uh, old episodes to re-air that, as you will see over, over the course of the year, bear uh, a, a, a Relationship to a theme that we're working on, sort of in each each quarter. Of Part the of the year. reason we're also going to re-air them is there's certain things we have touched on previously that we're going to go into in more detail. And so yes. there's some value of pointing out that we've gone to this. Here's some you know basic yeah. like one or two episodes. And by the way, here's where we're going to go next. Yeah, if you listen to some of our old catalog, there's a whole lot of you know that could be a whole separate episode comments <laughs> we make. We never made those episodes, so we made just some of those. And then one other thing, a uh, call to action: we are looking to revamp our website, make it a little more interactive and bloggy. Maybe post, um, you know, uh, more direct links or embed copies of episodes and, and things like that. So if you are a webby person who might be interested in helping out with that, uh, let us know and uh, we'll see what we can do. All right. So check out our website, lggpodcast.com. It has the links to our various platforms where you can download prior episodes and get in touch with us. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. And we have the email. Subscribe to this podcast on the platforms. Give us a review. And that helps new listeners find us. You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders. And Kirk is at KirkDMN. We brought Lauren to the library. And he will once again play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, 
agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri.